With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by Matt Collins, also of Over the Monster. Matt, how you doing, man? Tired. Tired from all this baseball stuff, or, or what are we talking about here? Yeah, mostly all this baseball stuff, and also it's incredibly humid. Yeah, the weather's been crazy today. Today I was I was outside at the at my parents' pool and uh, it was like eighty four degrees, but ninety seven was the real feel because of the humidity and how sunny it was. So yeah, it's been pretty hot. It's definitely baseball weather. And with that, um, we'll get right into it. We have some big news today that baseball is back. Players are going to report to camp on July first seems like this is going to take place most likely at their home ballparks Um, and play is set to resume on July 24th um, for all of these teams so um, there's still a lot of details to be worked out but you know the commissioner did what he has the right to do uh, and the players uh, have have all but uh, put their rubber stamp on this and it seems like we're actually going to get baseball well we're actually going to get a plan for baseball. Still not all that confident we're going to get baseball, but yeah, it's it's uh it's certainly feeling like that. So let's just go through some of the details here before we kind of start chatting through it, um, because there's a lot of things to digest and uh, details are still coming in, and they're coming in super piecemeal right now. So it's kind of hard to interpret. So if we get something wrong on this podcast, don't hold us to it, but. The players are going to play 60 games uh, over 66 days uh, right now. Um, there's going to be universal DH this year as part of the health concerns, um, but as we'll talk about later, that's not going to be part of the plan for 2021. There are no guarantees uh, being made to the players should a second wave uh, hit uh, of COVID or that you know the infections get out of hand or something like that. Uh, and a season becomes impossible, there are no actual financial guarantees made to these players in that setting. Uh, August 31st is going to be the trade deadline for this abbreviated season. It does seem like the competitive balance tax will reset, which is a huge consideration for the Red Sox. Yeah, uh, yeah go ahead, Matt. Well, I don't know if we've, I don't know if you wanted to get through all of that. I don't know that the CBT is um, a huge deal. Do you want to get into that right now? Sure. 
I mean, do it. Basically, I mean, my point is basically it's pretty simple. The owners aren't going to spend anything. Not just John Henry and the Red Sox owners. No owners are going to spend anything in free agency this year. Um, oh yeah, I would expect no team to be over the luxury tax threshold anyway next year. Maybe teams that are already over um, and don't and aren't like losing enough players to get under it. They might be, but I don't think any team are gonna is going to add some significant amount of payroll, and that includes the Red Sox. So, um, I mean, I guess all things considered, it's probably better than not that they're under the tax threshold or in resetting the penalties. But functionally, I don't really think it matters because I assuming they're going to be under the threshold again next year, so the penalties would have just been reset then. Yeah. Yeah, in the event that, you know, anybody does spend any money, uh, it does. it is a consideration there, and it was a big reason why they made the Mookie Betts trade too, so I think that, you know, that's... It's worth mentioning, but I think that's a great point, and we're going to get into that a little bit more as we talk about the proposal that they actually turned down. A um, few more details about what we know so far... Um, 60 players are going to be invited to big league spring training. Um, three players are going to be part of the taxi squad on the road, and one must be a catcher. Matt, I think you had something that you wanted to say about that, right? There, there's some type of a tweak to the taxi squad. For the catcher? Yeah. Uh, well, it's just, I forget who said this, so sorry for not giving proper credit there, but um, it was just if you carry three players, which I'm assuming everybody will, but the text or the way that whoever wrote that it was stark um he says if three one must be a catcher so for some reason a team only carries two i guess you don't have to carry a catcher but i don't know why you would any team would do that right yeah and then uh roster sizes um which is kind of an interesting thing that just came through it's going to be 30 or initially it's going to be 28 after two weeks and 26 uh after four weeks and there's going to be a special uh, COVID IL, uh, which is going to be separate than the regular IL, and it's going to have different rules about when you can be activated uh, off of that. And it's going to be based on symptoms, not necessarily a number of days. Um, and then my impression, Matt, and I, I don't know if you got the same impression from everything that you were reading, but that they're still going to do the, the regional big divisions that are not uh, taking into account ALNL. It seems like it's going to be East, Central, and West still. Yeah, I haven't seen any indication that that's not the case. Um, and I, that's the reason that the Universal DH was going to be involved in the first place, just because you had all the AL and NL teams playing against each other. Um, also, I think there are health reasons for the pitchers, but I think it's mostly because you have the AL and NL teams playing against each other. So, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming... Until nobody's said otherwise, so yeah, I would assume it's still the regional plan. Yeah, and, and all this is to say, like, this is the plan right now. There's a lot of details that are going to be coming in over the next few days, and we're kind of trying to distill them down and give them to you as they come through. Um, but I, I expect a lot of things to kind of be tweaked and changed. Um, but I, I guess my first question for you, Matt, um, and, and I think you're pretty skeptical of this, but is this the right move? by these two sides to get together and, and play because I mean it doesn't seem like either side is super thrilled about this and from a health perspective there's still big questions well I think the health perspective is the thing that really matters I mean for the other stuff yeah it's the I mean if there was no pandemic going on obviously yeah this is the right decision but labor the tensions between the two sides doesn't really have anything to do with that they should be playing but as far as the pandemic and all that i'm not going to 
pretend I'm smart enough to give you a definitive yes or no. Um, I'm writing about this for tomorrow. It's, it's I'm feeling very conflicted about everything here. Um, I mean, on the one hand, obviously I want baseball to be back. For one, because I just super like watching baseball and it's part of my life and it's just something I've gotten used to, to doing in the summer and it's just, I would very much like that in my life. Um, also, it will be very difficult for me to potentially pay the rent if there's no baseball for a couple of years. So um, from a financial standpoint, I would like baseball to be there. Uh, but also, it just, I don't know, it just does not feel like we should be playing baseball right now. Um, there are huge spikes, obviously, of COVID all around the country. And I know people like to say professional athletes aren't susceptible to this. There's just so many things wrong with that starting with some of them do have those pre-existing conditions that make it a big deal also they have families with pre-existing conditions also there are a lot of other people involved in the games who are on the older part of the age spectrum who are in that high risk group and maybe most importantly we don't know what the long-term effects of getting this is there is some evidence that there is major lung damage that is possible even if you don't really get symptoms at first that can happen down the road. So, I mean, there are real considerations here and the fact that there are big spikes in places like Texas, where there are two teams and Florida, where there are two teams and LA, where there are two teams and Arizona, where it seems like 90% of baseball players live in the off season. I mean, it's just, it feels like a bad idea and throw on top of that, the fact that they're traveling. I mean, I feel like this isn't being talked about enough. They're traveling. That is insane. Like, the Red Sox are going to be flying up and down the East Coast during a pandemic. Teams out West are going to be covering even more ground. Same with the teams in the Central. So, I mean, again, I'm not nearly an expert enough on this stuff to say it's for sure a bad idea. But I think that the framing of this by some of the more prominent baseball voices and the people that have the platforms aren't nearly skeptical enough. And I feel like we're all just kind of pushing aside the fact that we're in the midst of a major pandemic and we really have no idea where things are going. And I just really wish people would at least acknowledge that fact. You can still be excited. I'm still excited. I'm still going to be talking about the ins and outs of like the 48th man on the 60 man roster and all that stupid shit. But it's just every once in a while, we need to take a step back and remember that there are real risks here and we need to consider all of that. Yeah. I think that's all worth, uh, worth mentioning and considering and I do think that you know there's a lot of reasons why it is a good idea to play and there's a lot of reasons why you should be skeptical and you did a good job of laying out those reasons I think from the players perspective I mean a lot of these guys want to get back first of all to their job the game they love they want to be paid you know a lot of these guys aren't you know actually going to be making money if they don't play uh, which you know I think affects people in different ways but and I, I do think that they can do this in a way that is lower risk, but I do think it's going to take a whole ton of effort. And I'm not sure that it's going to be, uh, you know, something that everybody is going to follow to the T to make it That's possible issue, yeah. uh, to, to, to be the lowest risk. Like, obviously, you know, with the Red Sox, they're going to be flying on their personal jet. They're probably not even going to have to step foot in the airport. Like, they'll probably just get driven, like, right to the, 
you know, the gate of the plane and, and get on the plane and probably be sanitized and stuff like that. So I think a lot of the things are going to be way safer than they would be for regular people. But I think the larger point that you made, the thing that concerns me the most when I think about them playing is the coaches. Um, you know, a lot of the third base coaches and first base coaches and, you know, bench coaches and, and hitting coaches and all these guys, I mean, they're older. And a camera lot of these operators guys are older. People involved sure. with the TV network. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that go into making this game. And they, I mean, I don't know that all of them are going to be on private jets. And yeah, I mean, there's just so many factors. Not to venture that you have to trust every single player to stay isolated and not go out drinking when you're in one of these states that's open and you can go to a bar. And I yeah. saw that with the um, Women's Soccer League. Right. A couple players or one player on that Orlando team went out to a bar and that whole team had to withdraw from their tournament. And yeah, I mean, it's, it just takes a couple players deciding that they don't want to isolate anymore and this whole thing could come crashing down. It's just, it's putting, it's not, I, it's not a lot of effort from the players, like on an individual basis, but it's a lot, there's just a lot of moving pieces and it doesn't take a lot for the whole house of cards to come falling down. And I think it's worth mentioning that ideologically, baseball clubhouses can be pretty conservative places. Oh, so there might not be sure. uh, very many people that uh, are fully on board with following all of these rules. I would I would be willing to guess that at least a third of Major League Baseball players think that COVID is like a hoax or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I actually, it's sad, but I think I probably agree with you there. Uh, and, and probably some members of the Red Sox that you really like. Oh, I can um, guarantee that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So let's move past this a little bit. I want to get to the proposal of what the Major League Baseball Players Union actually turned down um, when they did uh, decide to turn that down. Um, so there's been a lot made of this and, and Trevor Bauer has been kind of the big mouthpiece here, but what they turned down was 60 games prorated, which they're still going to get under this, uh, current, uh, setup. They turned down playoff money, which, uh, I had read was around $25 million, um, paycheck advance forgiveness, which was over $30 million from that initial March payout that the players had gotten. Um, they also turned down protection for non-guaranteed ar- arbitration contracts next year, DH for the 2021 season. Um, and if they did sign that, the big sticking point for the players is they were going to give away their right to file a grievance. They were essentially going to waive that right. Um, but the thing that I, I think I want to focus on here is kind of a couple of the points that Trevor Bauer made, and I want to get your thoughts on those. So so first of all, these things are not small to the to the players, these things that they could have gotten in this uh, proposal by, by agreeing to this. Um, but the grievance is also not small. So if you file a grievance, you know, you could win several hundred million dollars uh, back to the players union if you win your grievance. However, winning a grievance is a long process. It's not guaranteed to have success. And also, Rosenthal made a point that I think was was and is uh, a point that I it, it sucks that this is a real thing. But like, if the players say they win like 500 million bucks from the owners in a grievance, that's 100% just going to be taken away from them via not being offered contracts in future years. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's... What do you, what do, you do to a bull? You don't get into them. That's not a yeah. good reason to not file a well, grievance or any of that. So, but my, I guess my question here is, like, yes, ideologically, you're absolutely right. Like, the right thing to do was not sign this thing in reserve your right. But when you know that they they've got you like there's no other there's not a lot of recourse that the players can have if other than lockout which i think was on the table the whole time and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later but like is it short-sighted of the players not to take the better deal now and push the fight down the road like what what benefit do you think this grievance gives them why were they so intent on well i don't think it's just the grievance i think that's the only reason they turned this down I mean, this is all, none of this, the big, one of the big mistakes of the entire framing of this whole fight has been that every single time anybody ever talked about it, it should have been also mentioned that neither side wants to give anything before the big CBA negotiation. And that goes for the players. They don't want to give up. They don't want to set a precedent for any of this stuff. They don't want to set a precedent that, yeah, in strange situations, you can take away our right to file a grievance. They don't want that on the record. Um, the, the expanded playoffs was a huge deal. Play, players did not want that. Um, and if that did happen and the playoffs were expanded for two years, that would have just been forever. Um, like, anything that was agreed to would have just been forever. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think that is the big thing, is that just basically the players were standing their ground they got dicked around by the owners for weeks they had already made an agreement in march that the owners were just trying to rip up um and i think it was all just about not giving in before the next cba negotiation okay so it has more to do with the next cba negotiation and i think that's the point that bauer was trying to make here when he was talking about this online as he was saying like essentially we're fighting tooth and nail over these rules that are going to last the maximum of 16 months. But that's because not in 16 the case. months, we're going to have the new CBA negotiation. And then we're going to be back at this point where both sides are going to be negotiating because everything's going to be off the table at that point, right? Like, they, this is going to be a substantial negotiation. They're going to be able to rebuild this whole structure if they want to. And it seems like both sides are kind of intent on that happening. Yeah, but once something becomes, like for the playoffs, for example, once something becomes a rule, once something is put into place, once it's put on paper, it is extremely hard to get rid of it. Okay, so, so you're saying if they those rules wouldn't have been exhausted. If, yeah, if they went to 16 teams in the playoffs, that would have been forever. I am 90% sure of that. So do you think that by going to DH universally just for this season, I do you think, think that's we have DH forever. forever? I think that's going to be forever, okay. yeah. I would be very surprised if it's maybe not 2022, but... Um, or maybe not 2021, but by 2022 it'll be universal. I'm fairly confident in that. Yeah, and and I, I think the other wrinkle here is that the the players uh, for the playoffs this year, if if there uh, are no fans, which we do not expect there to be fans uh, in the stands for the playoffs, uh, the players will not get anything for participating in those playoffs. And that's kind of a huge deal. So the, you're not going to see a lot of things that we would normally see in a baseball season. We're not going to see players mic'd up. We're probably not going to see as many in-game interviews, things like that. It's going to be very different in the amount of access that the players give. Yeah, I I don't remember. Was the last proposal that the owners made 
was that one where so that was just all prorated, right? Like their pay didn't change whether or not the playoffs happened. They, there was different playoff money, but it wasn't like because I know some of their proposals. It was like some sort of percentage if there was playoffs and some sort of percentage if there wasn't. I don't uh, in the very last deal, yeah, the one that they turned. So out. I think that was yeah, just the very last deal right? was the same money. Yeah, yeah. it was it was a one point uh, five billion dollars guaranteed, which is what they're going to get now. But they also had that twenty five million dollar playoff yeah, pool okay. that they would have been able to to tap into and the paycheck forgiveness that they would have been able to get back. And, you know, the way that it works financially, uh, and I think it's, it's a good time to get into that is the players did counter one last time with a 70 game proposal and and the way that that looks on paper and Mike Silverman actually is the one who, who wrote all this out. So I'm going to give credit to him. Um, it would have been $260 million more, uh, on top of the 1.5 billion, uh, to pay the players for 70 games full prorated, which comes out to $8.67 million, uh per team uh, to have accepted the players' union's uh, final proposal of 70 games. And, and if you look at the number of games that the players' union proposed uh, each time, they each made four proposals, I believe, um, the players' union started off much higher and went down significantly every time. Uh, whereas the MLB owners' proposals uh, only fluctuated within about 10 games uh, the entire time that they made proposals. So it does seem to me on on the face of the negotiation that if they are to file a grievance that there is going to be a little bit of an advantage to the players in terms of being able to say that they came down a lot more on what they were demanding than what the owners did to kind of meet them in the middle. My understanding of the grievance, um, and I'm not a labor lawyer, so if people, if I'm wrong, I hope people correct me, but my understanding, the whole grievance was always about the clause in the March contract, or the March agreement, that um, Manfred had to make a best, a good faith effort to play as many games as possible, Um, and I would imagine that the grievance would be they were very transparently stalling throughout this entire process so they couldn't play as many games and now yeah maybe 60 is the most games that they could play right now but that's only because they wasted six weeks two months of our time by giving us the same deal four times in a row and even just frankly reopening this agreement in the first place when the players had already made the agreement (laughs) like there was already an agreement in place which is i mean i think the biggest point for the players here and that's why they never budged is because they already made an agreement. Yeah, and I think the other frustrating thing for, for all of us, and I think specifically the Players' Union, was how often these details were leaked right away by the MLB owners, too. So this was not a closed-door negotiation. And I read a really interesting article about uh, Kevin Euclid and his experience as part of uh, as a player representative for the players union. And that was the biggest thing that he was criticizing, uh, you know, post playing days of this negotiation was just how public it is and how bad, uh, that is for, for both sides when, when the negotiation is leaked throughout the entire process. Yeah. I mean, reporters were getting the owner's proposal before the players were. Jake Deacon said that that last offer um, that was the first time that they had gotten the offer before they saw it on Twitter. Hmm. Which is insane. Yeah, 
It's wild. So, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like you think the players did the right thing by uh, not waiving their, their right to file a grievance and, and by not agreeing to, to the final proposal. Yeah, I mean, I think they've gotten their ass kicked in negotiations for about 20, 25 years. And it's about Basically time that they since stand. Yeah. yeah, and it's about time they stand their ground. And so, um, I mean, there's obvious risks here, and I'm not saying that this is going to work out well for them, but I think if I was part of the union, this is the way I would go. And I would yeah. also be uh, talking to Trevor Bauer and being like, hey, are you part of this union or not? How about you uh, shut up and let's show a little unity here? Yeah, and I think the counterpoint here is that, you know, a couple people have reported that if they did sign the deal, 61% of the players in baseball would have stood to make more money this year. So I think the... Well, that the was always the owner's goal, was to split up the union. I don't know that that... I don't think that that's a big deal to the players. My understanding is that the players are seeing through that strategy from the owners. Yeah, I mean, it clearly seems like that based on the voting, right? 33 to 5, but I think that... That is a consideration, uh, certainly, and oh, I think it makes it more players, complicated. Sure, that are thinking like, "Hey, I wish we would have done that," but I think for right. the most part, um, I mean, the players are as unified as they've been in a very long time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, let's move on here to, to the to the next question, and this kind of goes to the larger point of um, what this looks like down the road. Um, I'm wondering if you think that because of the hit that baseball's image has taken uh, in the public right now, whether or not both sides, the, the owners and the players, uh, are going to get together and try and do everything they possibly can to spend the next 16 months uh, hammering out the details of this thing so that we don't get a play stoppage um, after December of, of 2021. It seems like there's a lot to figure out, um, and there's some structures of the game that could, uh, you know, potentially undergo some very serious, drastic changes, um, especially with how long players are controlled and what the payroll structure is like. Um, and, and you know, I know that the owner's goal for a long time has been to introduce a salary cap, and uh, I, I think everybody would agree that the system of arbitration and uh, the amount of player control that we have in this game is probably not very fair either. So there's a lot of good arguments, uh, I think, uh, to, to be made for kind of creating something brand new. But do you think that they will spend this time wisely in order to avoid a cataclysmic event of no season in 2022? Um, I mean, there's a lot going on in that question. I think they're yeah. certainly going to be negotiating a lot. I don't think they're going to be like sitting on their hands, um, like pouting in the corner. I think both sides are going to be negotiating whether or not that stops a lockout. That's a totally different question. I would assume there's some sort of lockout. I don't think they're going to miss an entire season. I feel like that possibility is being way overblown. Um, I don't know when the last time was at the NHL. It's the only time I can really remember when a league really lost an entire season to a lockout it could be like the um the nba season whenever that was 10 15 years ago whatever that was when they missed a quarter of the season i can see something like that um but yeah i mean i think both sides are very angry and i don't think it's going to be a pre-negotiation i think it's going to be very painful and tedious to watch play out in real time i think this coming off season where the owners are presumably going to spend next to nothing is going to do nothing but make the players more unified and more angry 
So, I mean, I don't think it's going to be pretty, but, yeah, I don't think they're going to be pouting in the corner either. Yeah, I'm actually left a little bit more optimistic. Uh, I kind of think that what this uh, stoppage of play because of COVID has done is it's brought a lot of these issues that would have been kind of kicked down the road to the forefront here and that they've been forced to look at a lot of these things right away and also look each other in the eye and start the negotiating process uh, in earnest. And I think that they've learned. I mean, both sides don't seem to be completely happy with how this has played out. Neither of them should be um, because baseball and baseball fans are the ones that are suffering because of this. And I do think that this is kind of going to get get them off their asses a little bit with a little bit more urgency than they would have had. I, I, I think they would have been content to just kind of kick this thing down the road until the end of the 2021 season had this whole thing not occurred. Thank you have a rosier view of all this than me. What I've learned is that the owners will not take a loss in any negotiation lately. And they are going to. If they get any perceived loss in the negotiation, if they feel like things aren't going their way at all, uh, they've already shown that they're pretty much just going to take their ball and go home and just be, be babies about it. So I don't know. If, if they if they keep doing that, though, public perception is is a powerful tool you know i don't think it is if any if i've learned anything over the last couple of years living in this country it's that public perception doesn't really matter for billionaires <laughs> billionaires are uniquely uh uniquely they'll be okay uh, position to ignore yeah no they are um but ultimately at the end of the day i think my optimism stems from the fact that these are public businesses and also these billionaire owners love to uh, you know, get money for stadiums and municipalities for these, for these giant, you know, not even stadiums anymore that they build. These complexes that they build, these entertainment well, I think complexes. That's even more of a reason so. that they could lock out because they have other revenue streams from these teams. That even if there's no baseball, if you build an yeah. entire entertainment neighborhood around your park, you can still get money for that. Know. Even if there's no baseball, obviously less money, but. I think local politicians in a lot of areas will hold these guys accountable, especially if they're not delivering any benefit to the public. I don't You know, through, through, these, through these things. All right, Matt. Well, you know what? I've got a little bit more faith in, uh, in democracy for some reason. It's and not I'm a high vibe, someone but you sure do. With a little bit. I, don't, I actually don't have that much faith, but, you know, apparently more than zero. Um, all right, so let's get to our listener questions. We have a ton of listener questions today, uh, some of them pretty detailed, so we're going to um, you know, kind of just tackle these. First one comes from uh, one of our podcast hosts here, the Spoken Keats, Keaton DeRocher, and he says, should the Red Sox trade for Matt Thace? Uh, he has a very unhealthy obsession with Matt Thace, and he's not good at baseball. It's Tice. Um, Tice? Okay, Tice. Um, like Daniel Tice, any relation? Uh, well, it's spelled differently. And Daniel Tice is from Germany, I think. And he's like nine feet tall. He is pretty tall. Um, what in the second part of Keaton's question, the real part is, what does the trade deadline slash trading look like in a short season? Uh, frankly, I don't think there should be any trades. But I mean, there's not going to be much of anything, especially as we get close to the deadline. I think any big trades is going to happen within the first week or two of this training camp or whatever. Because, I mean, we've seen what teams are willing to give up at the trade deadline. It's not too much. 
when you're talking about a trade deadline that's a month before the season. Um, I mean, there might be some trades for, like, relievers, but I wouldn't expect too much movement at the trade deadline. Yeah, one thing that I think will make this interesting, though, is um, the fact that because it is such a short season, we could get some pretty wonky-looking standings by the time uh, August 31st rolls around. So I wonder if teams will be a little bit more motivated that don't usually make deals to you know, add some pieces. I don't think... I don't know. I'd be interested to take, give some front office people some truth serum and see how they really feel about this season and what it really means to contend this season. Because I don't think GMs are going to abandon any sort of rebuild. Like if the Tigers, just picking a team out of a hat, go on a run and they have a chance to make the playoffs, I don't think they're going to trade from their pool of prospects to make a run for this season. I just don't think it's worth it. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually do think it is because I think that that's going to... Or I again, should say, I don't think that the teams are going to think it's worth it. I don't. I don't think this. The, the team. Let me say this. I don't think the baseball people will think that it, it's worth it. But I think that, all in all, the perception of your team. If like the Tigers for some Tigers reason might were be to go example. on some Tigers, insane run, yeah. and Tigers like, make the World them. Series, like, like that's a huge deal for your gate next year. You know, that's if there is a that gets people excited. Come on, Matt. I mean, I mean it is... let's be real about it. That's, there's a seriously no guarantee that there's a gate next. No, there isn't. But you know, let's let's operate with a little bit of a little bit of hope here. I mean, Come to be I know you'd be a little tongue in cheek here, but to be frank about it, I think we're not us like us, but the royal us is people that talk about baseball on the platform are being a little too kind of and optimistic about what things look like right now. So, huh. all right. Um, moving on. <laughs> it's okay. I can't get much lower. Um, Zach, uh, who has asked lots of questions on this pod. Zach, thanks for your uh, questions over the years. He says, if you were in the shoes of one of the guys getting a 20K offer to sign with the Sox, uh, what would be the pros and cons of going with them over another team or waiting until next year? Um, I'm going to jump in here real quick. I think right off the bat, one of the pros I think about with signing for the Sox is just that there's – um, not a whole ton of top-end talent in the Red Sox system right now. So I think that it's a system where you could potentially move towards the upper echelon of a particular position group pretty quickly. And I also think that if you're a hitter, the Red Sox just have a really good uh, tradition of being able to develop hitters. Um, and so if I was a minor league player, those would be two things that are attractive to me about signing with the Sox. Yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. There's also, I mean, it's different for every player. Like, if I was a player, forgetting that I'm a Red Sox fan, like if I was just a generic player, I think there would be some that would be that would see the appeal of playing for like a prestigious franchise, like the Red Sox or Yankees or Dodgers or whoever like that. That wouldn't really be something that I would be interested in, but I think some players would. There's also relationships with scouts. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen in the stories about these signees with the Red Sox and other teams has been they just developed a really good relationship with the scout. And I think that's something that we don't really think enough about in terms of the draft is, and that's a huge reason why, I mean, Rob Bradford has written a couple of profiles on these undrafted um, guys and the scout was a major, major reason behind them. Hmm. 
Yeah, and I think also seeing what happened with the Royals class is pretty yeah. telling this year. Well, I mean, they're yeah, it's, treat people like human beings. That's also another good one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think just to, to hit on the cons real quick, uh, you know, cons, if you're a pitcher, you might look at the Red Sox yeah, track record one. of pitcher development and think uh, you go to the Braves or something. All right, Sean Sears says our next question, and Sean says, does baseball even like baseball? This is tailor-made for you, Matt. Um, well, I think the question is, does Major League Baseball like baseball? Um, and I would say that it depends who you're talking about. I think that Rob Manfred likes baseball like my father likes baseball. My dad watches baseball. He knows a pretty good amount about baseball, but he's also not a huge baseball fan. And I think that's kind of what Rob Manfred strikes me as. Just a guy who kind of likes baseball and has found a way to make a lot of money and a guy that really loves negotiating against unions and he gets to do that so good for him doing what he loves you know i I read um a really interesting article on the athletic this week and it profiled all the owners in baseball and how they made their money and what industries they work in and stuff like that and how they came to own the team and it was a really good piece and i'm blanking on who who wrote it right now um but all that kind of was to say that I feel like baseball lacks a little bit of passion with its ownership groups. And, and you think of, I think the sport that I think of most when I think about passionate ownership groups, I think of the NBA and uh, particularly like the Mavericks and Mark Cuban or, you know, the Celtics with Wick Grossback and, and guys like that that just seem to genuinely care about how their teams do. And I don't get the sense that there are that many baseball teams that really feel that way. And I get the sense that there's a, a good bit more baseball teams and the Pirates come to mind with Nutting, who's just kind of seems like an awful human being, um, that don't really even like baseball at all. Well, I think, okay. Well, I think there's a little bit to that. Um, but also, I think in the NBA, you have owners sitting courtside, so you see them all the time. And it's a totally different atmosphere in the crowd, so you can see what's his name, the Clippers guy, Balmer. You can yeah. see him absolutely losing his mind on the sidelines. Just it's not really a thing that baseball is conducive to. And the owners usually are up in a box; they're not courtside with the players. But I mean, a little bit different atmosphere is part of it. Um, also, I mean, one of the biggest problems in baseball right now is that teams are just cost too much money, and it is impossible to buy a baseball team by yourself. And so now all of these teams are leveraged with a ridiculous amount of debt from these private equity firms that are helping them buy the team. And so that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole discussion from another podcast. It's something that people like Mark Normandon and Michael Bauman would be better to speak on than me, but just owners, there's not really as there's faces of ownerships, but baseball owners really aren't just one person anymore. And that's a good point. And, and I want to give some credit to you. While you were talking about that, I was thinking that there are two ownership groups that I think ought to be kind of proud of themselves uh, throughout all this stuff. And those are the Tigers and the Royals who have every reason to uh, want to basically cut pay and, and do all that because their teams aren't very good. Uh, and the Royals owner actually just acquired the team and is the one that was kind of leading this charge as nobody's being furloughed, nobody's pay is being cut. All that stuff. He seems to be a really good owner already. 
And then uh, Illich, over the years, basically poured everything into that team in order to try and bring a, a championship. So I kind of seems like that, the last old school sort of like I just want yeah. to win a championship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and they were also one of the first teams when all the COVID stuff happened that did pay like their ballpark employees and stuff like that, the game day staff and, and all that. So I think that baseball ought to have a little bit more humanity. And as we're seeing, I mean, it does, does translate to the player side. Um, Marxist Brandon Bass, that's a weird name, but I like it. Um, says, will there be a baseball strike in 2021? Uh, Matt, yes or no, baseball strike? Well, we've already discussed it's a lockout, not a strike. Right. Um, And, yeah, I already said I think there's probably a good chance that they miss some baseball. I don't think they're missing the entire – well, 2021? No, they're playing 2021 unless the pandemic takes a nasty turn. Um, It would be 2022. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way they don't play 2021 unless COVID goes wild. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Spencer Mattis- Mattinson has a really interesting question for us. He says you have one game. You pick one of two players in their prime, and the one you don't pick is on the other team. The rest of the rosters are filled with equally average MLB players. So who do you pick? In the question that he gives us, the two groups for each of these sides are Clemens versus Pedro, Nomar versus Pedroia, Boggs versus Jimmy Fox, uh, Fred Lynn versus Betts, Rice versus David Ortiz, and Papelbon versus Eck, knowing that the other guy that you don't pick will be on the other side of things. So let's just go through these real I quick. I thought this was pretty easy. I don't know about you. Clemens, Pedro, who you got? Pedro. Pedro, no question. Uh, Pedroia, Nomar, who you got? Nomar. I got Pedroia. What? That's insane. I don't think it is. Pedroia is a gamer. Um, Boggs versus Fox. This one I thought I had to think a little bit about. I went Boggs. Um, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't really like the numbers here. But I feel like Boggs was at least as good a hitter, and he plays third base at first base. This one's Fox for me, and it's not even remotely close. I probably Fox should have looked at the numbers. Absolutely. I'm going to be honest, I didn't do much prep yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Fox, is, Fox was basically as close as you can get to Babe Ruth uh, just like 10 years later. Um, Fred Lynn versus Mookie Betts. Mookie. Who are you taking? I'm taking Fred Lynn. Insane. In his prime. What is happening right now? Fred Lynn in his prime was a better hitter. Hey, this is uh, absurd. Okay. <laughs> um, Rice versus Poppy. Ortiz. Yeah. Easy. Easy Ortiz. And Papelbon versus Eck. This one I did look up the numbers for. I think it's closer than a lot of people would think. I need to go Eckersley. I think the thing that puts him over the top. I'm assuming we're only talking about Eckers or Lever to compare him to yeah. Papelbon. Um, so he, he could go multiple innings more so than Papelbon. Papelbon is more of a strictly one-inning guy. Not always, but just more so. But the numbers are closer than I think people would think. Uh, yeah, so like 2006 Papelbon is basically as good as it possibly yeah, gets I went, for a reliever. I looked at like a three, their like best three or four year period. I forget which one. Hmm. Um, I'm leaning Papelbon here, um, but I think Eck is probably the smart choice. But I'm gonna go Pap. I'm baffled that you took Pedroia over Nomar. That is one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Why? The defense is way better. 
Okay. He also has basically the most uncanny ability to hit. In terms of like multi-hit games in his career, Pedroia is an absolute monster in that category. And not that Nomar isn't. Nomar, Nomar hit 372 in a season. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a great player. I, I do think that Pedroia at his prime was a comparably great player to Nomar at his prime. I think Nomar was flashier. That's but I think Pedroia... That's an absolutely insane statement, in my opinion. Who do you think's more clutch? I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, that matters in this scenario, I, the scenario I, that we're talking about. The other guy's on the other side, man. I don't care who's clutch. I think that Nomar is better, and I have more faith in Nomar getting a hit, or get, getting a big hit in any given at bat than Pedroia. Well, listen, it's, it's Nomar all was not going to matter anyway. By the way. I mean, Nomar, Nomar's great. Don't get me wrong. And uh, I'll be honest, these numbers are still kind of fresh in my head from writing about all these guys. The, the whole you going with Boggs over Fox just makes me win this thing. Well, to be fair, know, I did say down. I didn't do any research on that one. <laughs> well, Boggs will be on base while Fox is hitting ding-dongs. Yeah, that's fair. There you go. Well, I could just pull out the old argument that Jimmy Fox played in 1905 or whenever he played and. <laughs> he would just he would commit suicide after seeing a slider from Dennis Eckersley or whatever. <laughs> hey, he overlapped with Ted Williams for a couple of years. Okay, well, so. Ted Williams is one of the only players that I would say from like pre nineteen fifty that I think could hang in baseball right now. But that's a different discussion. Ted is a beast, that's for sure. That was a fun question, nonetheless. Uh, Robbie Hyde has our next one. He says, scale of 1 to 10, 10 being no way, 1 being absolutely. Uh, what are the chances Nasty Nate dominates in a shortened season and carries us to a World Series in 2020-2007 Josh Beckett style? Can I just say that that scale is backwards and it's driving me nuts? <laughs> it should be 1, no way, 10, it should absolutely. Be. Yeah, um, so that's that's how I typically think of a one to ten yeah, scale. I'm, I'm very upset. <laughs> with it. Um, but using this insane scale, I guess I would probably say a seven. Okay, so we're not flipping the scale. That's really friggin' rattling me, man. I'm just answering the questions. The we have to flip the scale. Okay, I can't think of a, a seven three. as being. All right, so a three. That's all right. Um, I want to say. Even lower than a three. Um, I love I love Evaldi's potential, but I mean, I just uh, maybe maybe I'm giving I should give him more credit. I don't know. You know I'll, what? You know what? I keep coming back to. I'm probably gonna write about this in the next couple of days. But over the sixty game season, the best indication of how anything can happen is um, Sandy Leon in twenty sixteen. Oh, yeah, two months of Leon. Yeah, anything can happen. Yeah. In 60 sandy johnny bench leon he would have won he would have been a legitimate mvp candidate this is the topic of the <laughs> article already i'm not even joking he would have been in the mvp discussion if that was a 60 game season let's get wild matt let's put it out of five straight up coin flip oh, i'm sticking with my three but you can do what you like <laughs> Uh, Trevor Latham has our next question. He says, with JD likely walking at the season's end, which I know you disagree with, Matt, mm -hmm. who do you foresee the Sox eyeing as a possible replacement in the middle of the order? You know me. There's no way JD walks now, right? No. The yeah. best, especially if we're assuming there's no universal DH next season, mm -hmm. um, which I still think there is a chance of. I don't know that I'd bet on it, but there is still a chance. I think that the owner is just saying, let's do it. 
So I really don't think it's that big of a deal at the end of the day for the owners. Um, but, yeah, I don't think JD's walking. They could trade him. I could see him as a trade candidate. So um, I think – but I don't think that they would sign anybody to replace him. I think Bobby Dahlbeck is a likely yeah, candidate that's what I was for say. that. Yeah. Um, all right, Ben Jacobson has our next question. He says, whatever happened to Anuri Tavares? I have no idea what happened to Anuri Tavares, so while Matt's looking that up, I'm going to get to the uh, next one. He's playing in the Mexican League. Okay, there we go. Didn't even have to. Um, Just Sox has our next question. He says, out of the 13 or so undrafted free agents who signed, uh, who are the top three uh, to watch for the Sox going forward? Um, And, uh, yes, it does look like 13... I can't name three because I don't know a ton about these guys, to be honest. But the one who has me most interested by far is Brian Van Bell, the right-handed pitcher from Miami who was their weekend starter. Four pitches, good command. Uh, stuff is, you know, maybe not super overpowering, but he's kind of a pitchability guy, which I do really like. Uh, yeah, I'm also not going to pick three, even though I've written about every single one of these players. I forget everything about pretty much every single one of these players. Uh, but Jake McKenzie has always been the one that stands out to me as the most intriguing. He's a very good athlete. He's hit a ton um, wherever he's played that's on the Cape and at Fordham. Uh, he can run. He can not a great defensive player, but you can kind of make him play all over the field a la Brock Holt. Um, so insofar as any of these guys are interesting prospects, I would say McKenzie's probably at the top of the um, I have another question on these guys for you, Matt. Out of these 13 players, the two with the best names, I'll, I guess I'll give you three with the best names, are Cuba Bess, Murphy, uh, Andrew, and Jacinto Arredondo, which is very fun to say, uh, as you pointed out last time. Who has the best name out of those three players? Uh, probably... I kind of like Murphy Andrew, just because of how Murphy is spelled. Um, I'm E-R-F-Y. It's kind of got that first name, last name inversion going on, and Murphy is spelled in a unique way, so I'll go with Murphy Andrew. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go with Cuba Bess. I just really like the four-letter. wrote a very good profile on Cuba Bess, I would recommend. I will check that out. Uh, as we are recording this, uh, the major league players just agreed to the safety protocols. So, little little breaking news here. Yes, except for uh, everybody listening. It's not breaking news. It is about 12 yes. hours old at least. <laughs> Good point. Um, and Matt Kitson has our final question of the day. He says, seeing how stingy owners have been, do you see Mookie's next contract taking a hit on where it would have been a year ago? Jeez. Yeah, I mean, that's not even a question. It's not whether or not it will. It's how much. Yeah. I don't think he gets anywhere close to the reported $300 million that the Red Sox had offered him. I think it totally depends on if there's a postseason or not. Like, what's the best-case scenario for Mookie going forward now? For, for a con- I mean, I would, I've always said I think he's going to take a one-year deal. I still think he, I don't know, take... One year, 20, 20, 25, I really couldn't even so begin that puts to him guess. At tw- that, put, that will put him at 28, entering his age 29 season. 
for his next deal, right? Uh, I don't know how old Kibetsu's. And he's 27 right now. So if he took a one-year deal and played his age 28 season, he'd be going into his age 29 season. If he I think he's a playing, lot less likely to get a huge deal. I don't. If, he's keep, if he keeps playing like Mookie Betts, I think he'd still get a monster deal. Like you think $300 million? Yeah. Well, uh-uh. yes, but also with the whole lockout thing looming, I mean, there's just so many on there, so many variables that we just have no idea what the answers are. Yeah, I think that time running out and all the variables that we don't know, I think Mookie would be lucky to get 250 at this point. Unfortunately for him. I would probably disagree with that, but again, it's just too much to really know. Yeah. A lot of questions, that's for sure. Um, that does it for our podcast today. We do hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go on, rate and review us. Um, we always appreciate that. You can rate and review us anywhere you're listening to the podcast. Uh, also, subscribe if you haven't done that. We do appreciate that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Matt at MattRYCons. You can follow me at, at DevJake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Uh, and Matt, what do you got going up on the site this week? Anything good? Uh, let's see. This week I am doing uh, that thing we did on the podcast a few weeks ago about the next award winner. So I'm kind of expanding that out a little bit. So nice. That's going on all week. Cool. Um, and I am continuing to uh, get through uh, the all-time uh, Red Sox roster. I finish up the bullpen... I uh, almost finished the bullpen this week. I've got Papelbon coming out on Friday, and then I'll have Koji coming out on Tuesday uh, of next week, and then it'll be on to the starting rotation, uh, which will be the final five players of this series, which is kind of crazy. I feel like I've been doing this for a while, but, you know, it's coming to an end. Did we uh, time this perfectly with the start of the season? I think it is going to pretty much end as soon as the season starts. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, that is. It is like fate has intervened somehow, <laughs> or you know, it was excellent. That's why they us. kept declining offers. They're just trying to make it work out. <laughs> exactly. Well, we thank you all for joining us, and we will be with you again at this same time next week, or probably a little earlier.